and we'll read from John chapter 8 this morning. We'll read just one verse, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would shed light by your spirit upon this, your holy word. We pray that you would help us to understand it, to be convicted by it, to be encouraged as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ through it. So we pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. It is part of our normal practice here at Providence to preach through various books of the Bible, to practice what has been called the Lectio Continua model of preaching. And so we stand in the, the uh, tradition of men like Augustine, uh, Chrysostom, the reformers after them, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli. And so what that means is we preach again through books of the Bible. We take it verse by verse, passage by passage, uh, from time to time, departing from, from that. And uh, when we do that, at least for the preacher, there can be a dilemma. What is the preaching portion? How much should I cover? And this week was one of those times at which I experienced that dilemma. Because at first, I was going to try to cover verses 12 through 20. But because verse 12 is so rich, and because verses 13 through 20 are so challenging... I thought if I tried to cover all of that, I wouldn't do justice to either, either section. And uh, if I do any justice to verse 12 this morning, it's only by the grace of God. I'll tell you that right now. And so as we come to this verse, remember the context as we've been going through John and of late John chapter 8. Jesus is at that great feast of tabernacles. Uh, The Jewish people have descended upon Jerusalem for this annual event. And it was at this event that they remembered God's provision for Israel as they wandered throughout the wilderness. And so they did various things. They had various ceremonies to remind them of that. And so that's what they were doing. And last time we looked at John in chapter 8, as this was going on, I believe, the Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus In the midst of the people there, he brought this woman caught in the very act of adultery. And so while the Pharisees were righteous, so they thought, self-righteous as they were, um, Jesus condemned them. But he justified, he forgave the woman who was caught in the very act. And so he told her, he says, no one has condemned you. Where are those accusers of yours? He says, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so those are the blessed words to all those who put their faith in Jesus. You're forgiven. Now go and sin no more. Live a life of repentance and believe in and trust me, the Lord Jesus, he would tell us. And so as we come to verse 12, that's the scene. Jesus picks up again with his declarations, his teaching in the temple, and he declares Uh, To them, in fact, to the world through this text today, that he alone is the light of the world. And as as John tells us there in verse 20, um, he did this 
as he was in the treasury of the temple. That was a very well-trafficked place. It's where the people came to, to throw their monetary offerings in and pay their temple tax, as it were, and, and that sort of thing. So there was lots of traffic to and fro, a big audience. And so Jesus there declares these words in their midst. And so as we think about Jesus as the light of the world, I want to break down these words of our Lord Jesus and the sermon this morning into three headings. We'll talk about a world without light. And then we'll talk about the light promised. And then last, we'll consider the light and its appearance, the light's appearance. So first of all, let's talk for a little while about a world without light. If we're going to understand what Jesus is saying here, at least in part, we need to understand what the Bible says in relation to the world and its present darkness. What is darkness after all? The way I can define it is it's the absence of light. You can't see in the dark. The dark is dangerous. Uh, You need light to get around in the dark. And so for these reasons, uh, the Bible takes darkness and uses it figuratively in several ways. Three that I could find this, this week. The Bible talks about darkness when it is describing spiritual ignorance. Ignorance of the things of God, ignorance of biblical truth, God's truth, God's wisdom, and so forth. In Isaiah 8 and verse 22, it says, Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. You know, in Scripture, as we'll see today, the Gentiles were those who walked in darkness because they didn't have the revealed will of God, his commandments, his law, and of course, his gospel. And so later, the Apostle Paul writes to the Gentiles who are Christians, Gentile Christians at Ephesus. And this is what he said to them in Ephesus 4, verse 17. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. How do they walk? In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. And so there the Apostle Paul gives the spiritual, intellectual credentials of the unbeliever. What is it? Um, They're futile in their mind. Their understanding is darkened. They are spiritually ignorant. Their hearts are blind. Why? Because they are alienated from the life of God. And that is true of all of us outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and me. So let's not get haughty and prideful. We were in the dark before we came to the Lord Jesus. Now remember in John's gospel, which deals a lot with this motif of light. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 comes to Jesus, the teacher of Israel, the Bible teacher. He comes when? At night. And in this conversation, Jesus tells him in John 3, 3, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot perceive it. You cannot understand it. And of course, you cannot enter it. That is the kingdom of God. Unless there is the new birth. 
And so that happens by the Holy Spirit. And so in the Bible, darkness then refers to spiritual ignorance. It also refers to uh, evil and ungodly lifestyle. The Bible talks about the way of evil in Proverbs 2, 13. And in 1 John 1, 6, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, if we live in the dark, dwell in it, if that's our world, we lie and do not practice the truth. So practicing the truth, practicing God's word, practicing righteousness, that is in contrast with walking in darkness. And so the Bible then talks about the works of darkness. The way of evil, the works of darkness. And then there are the forces, the power of darkness. Who's behind all of this? The evil one himself, the prince of darkness. Just before Jesus was arrested so that he would go and be crucified, in Luke twenty-two fifty-three, Jesus uttered these words to the chief priest and the elders. He said, when I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. I just want to remind us all, there is this power at work in this fallen and dark world. So the Bible talks about darkness and when it does, it refers sometimes to spiritual ignorance an ungodly, evil lifestyle, but also, third, God's judgment. God often in the scriptures would judge men by casting them into darkness. He did this with Israel, um, but before that he did it to Egypt. Remember that great plague in Exodus 10 and verse 21? There were three days of darkness. It was so dark that you could feel it. And uh, in Deuteronomy 28... When God was giving his law once again, entering into covenant with his people there, he, he laid out before them life and death, the blessings and the cursings of the covenant. And in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28, beginning of verse 28, he said this, you know, basically, if they were to break the covenant, here's what he would do. The Lord will strike you with madness. You're going to go crazy. Blindness and confusion of heart. The heart is where they thought. It was their inner man. Madness, blindness, and confusion. And you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes continually in the darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall only be oppressed and plundered continually and no one shall save you. What horrifying words. You'll be helpless. No one's going to save you. You know, we're not Israel in America. America is not Israel. But God hasn't changed. Doesn't that sound like the state we're in today? We're mad, blind, and confused. wonder why that is. In Isaiah 47, in verse 5, he speaks to the Chaldeans there. And he says that they will go into darkness. Well, in Isaiah 45, in verse 7, God says there, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. And so when there is darkness in one's life or when there is darkness over the land, ultimately it's because of God and His providence that it is there. 
And so we must ask our, we who are in the darkness in this land under the judgment of Almighty God. And of course, at the last day, he will cast the wicked to where? Outer darkness forever. And so then darkness represents everything that is anti-God, everything that is opposed to God. In fact, 1 John, the same apostle in 1 John 1, 5 says, this is the message which we have heard from the beginning and declare unto you that God is light and in him is what? No darkness at all. God is righteous. He's holy. He's light. There's no darkness in him at all. Darkness is the realm of evil. It's the state of a people that have rejected the true and living God. Years ago, I had a dear brother in Christ, Patrick Acre, and he was dramatically converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. He became an evangelist. You could not close his mouth. If his mouth opened, the words Jesus just fell out. The word Jesus all the time. And uh, he would sometimes talk about his previous life as an unbeliever. He was a DJ in the clubs of Atlanta. And he would utter the apostles' words where Paul talks about the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And he would say, Brother Kevin, you wouldn't imagine what happens in the dark. When I was a kid, I remembered this pop song called The Freaks Come Out at Night. See, even the unbelievers admit they know what happens when it gets dark. People think that God or other men do not see what is done in the dark. But God is all-knowing. He sees everything. Is there darkness in our land today? Is there spiritual ignorance? Is there madness? Is there confusion in our land in America today? If you're a Christian and you have biblical knowledge, of course you will say, yes, there is. We are told men can have babies. Um, We can't get our pronouns right. There are mass shootings. There's corruption at large. But I would ask, are the churches any better? We don't have mass shootings. We don't go around shooting people as Christians in churches and Yet there are many in the church who would say they're Christian and yet their lives have lost that luster being the salt and light that they are supposed to be. They rejected God's standard. Many who had proclaimed the name of Christ have rejected God's standard for life. His commandments and they've absorbed, they've welcomed and embraced the spirit of the age. When it comes to gender, homosexuality, loose living, unbiblical thinking, the Lord's Day, and even in worship, you know, just a few miles south of here, I I recently saw online the intro to a a worship service, and there's this montage of Led Zeppelin songs to open the service. I mean, come on, you know, I've, I've shared with you, you know, I like to rock out a little every now and then. It's just in my bones. I'm a drummer, and I know that's not an instrument, but to do, to do this before worship is blasphemy, I believe. You're bringing the world into the church, and, and we're called to be salt and light, and how is that any different? It's bringing the darkness into the light. So in the words of Paul in Romans 1.22, professing to be wise, 
they became fools. That's what happens when we reject God, His Word, His standard for life. We become fools like Nebuchadnezzar walking and crawling on all fours. So all men outside of the Lord Jesus Christ are held captive in the kingdom of darkness, as Paul puts it in Colossians 1.13. But God, those are words of gospel, good news, but God, but God has not left us there. God would not leave the world in this fallen and darkened state, not every man. And so the light was promised in the Old Testament. God promised to send a light into a fallen and darkened world. And we're getting there, okay? I know we want to look at these words of Jesus, but I have to lay this groundwork first. And, and so God made this promise. And so God talked about the light. I mean, in the beginning, He created the light and the darkness, and He separated the two, by the way. One He called night, one He called day. And in the Bible, the light refers to true knowledge, true Wisdom, it refers to righteousness and salvation. In Psalm 25 and 27 and verse 1, the psalmist said, The Lord is my what? My light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And so God promised this light to come through various types, various prophecies. And he, in so doing, promised that he would bring spiritual knowledge and discernment, that he would deliver his people from unrighteousness. And thus bring salvation. And one of the most familiar and glorious types of this light was when God's people were in the wilderness. Um, as they were going on their way in Exodus chapter 13, um, in verse 21, it says that God would do this. God, we are told, it says, and the Lord went before them, the the children of Israel, he went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night before the people. And what a glorious thing. You go back and look at that Shekinah glory. It symbolized God's presence with his redeemed people. And through that, he led them from the house of bondage, Egypt, eventually, that second generation, to the promised land of Canaan. And so when you turn to the pages of the prophets, this whole theme of light, and it, it, it intensifies. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Hold your finger there in John. Turn back to the Old Testament if you have a Bible with you. Um, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah mentions this light frequently. We could say in his gospel, there's God's judgment here, but also the gospel of the promised servant to come. Isaiah chapter 9, um, after declaring God's judgment, in verse 1 it says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward, more heavily oppressed her. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Galilee. Where has Jesus been in John's gospel? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So it's speaking as the past tense, but it's a prophecy about the future. And God here is using the past tense because it's the prophetic past. It is so certain to happen that he speaks in the past tense as if it already has happened. And so what is he going to send? A great light. It's going to descend and shine upon the shadow of death and dispel that very thing, death itself. Well, if you keep on in verse three, it talks about the increasing of joy. In verse four, it says you have broken the yoke of his burden. Verse five, every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. So there's going to be peace, not only between God and man, but eventually between man and man. Verse six, four, again, expanding upon how this is going to happen, why this is going to happen for unto us, a child is born. A son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, what? Mighty God. God is going to send the light to dispel and eradicate death from the earth, to dispel misery and bring life, in fact, eternal life. And who's he going to send? This child, this one born of the virgin, as Isaiah told us earlier. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He's going to bring counsel, instruction, the light from God. And what is his name? Almighty God. Mighty God. It's going to be God who will come and bring the light. And so there's more we could say. But in Malachi 4, 2, it says, But to you who fear my name, the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. So we turn to the pages of the Gospels. We see that God was true to his word, that he sent the light that he had promised through the various types of prophecies through the ages. And so let us see how God was faithful to the covenant promise that he made to Abraham and those after him. We'll talk now about the light's appearance on the scene. In Luke chapter 1, I'll just remind you of this if you've read it. There's Zacharias. He is the father of John the Baptist. He's the priest. And, you know, his tongue's tied and he's in the temple and all this is going on. But, but then finally, um, he's, he's told about his son, John, who would be born. His tongue is loosed. And uh, he uttered a prophecy. He uttered some words about this. And he saw the birth of John the Baptist, his son, as God's faithfulness to his promise, to his covenant with Abraham. And he saw this as God's faithfulness because John the Baptist would be the prophet who would introduce Jesus Christ to the world. How? In Luke 179, Zacharias says that John, his son, would go forth, quote, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And if you don't understand what he says there, maybe you haven't been listening. Zacharias is saying that John is going to introduce Jesus. He's going to give light to those who sit in the darkness, the lifestyle of evil and rebellion against God. 
those who sit in the shadow of death, and he's going to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus will guide our feet into the way of peace. And so now when we look at John chapter 8, we see Jesus here 33 years after that in the temple. And he utters this statement, I am the light of the world. Again, it's in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is that great memorial where God's people were remembering the faithful, miraculous provision by God for his people in the wilderness. Again, Jesus is in the treasury. And this is also that place where it's near where they had these 16 bowls, colossal size stands with these four bowls on each stand. Four stands, I think. They put, if I did the math correctly, they put oil in these bowls and they would light them during this service for, this, for these seven or eight days. And Jerusalem was lit so that the surrounding areas could see Jerusalem at night from afar. And it's as if God's presence is symbolized there. But at this time, when Jesus utters these words, those lights are probably put out. They're putting those things away, waiting for next year. And so against that backdrop, Jesus says, I, and in the Greek, I alone am the light of the world. No one else. And this is one of those I am statements of our Lord Jesus. And I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. It goes on and on and on. He says, I, I am, ego, a me. And this points back to Exodus 3 and verse 14. Technically, it's called the Tetragrammaton. Those four letters, consonants we use for the name that we have put to it, Jehovah. But in Exodus 3, remember, there's Moses at the burning bush. The burning bush is where God's presence was symbolized by the fire. God tells him what he's got to do. He's got to lead God's people out of Egypt. And Moses says, well, who shall I say sent me? What, what, by what name? And God says, I am sent you. The existing one, the one who is being, the eternal one. And so every time Jesus makes these claims, I am, ego, a me, it's like saying, I, I am. He's saying, I think two things. Number one, um, that, that there in the Old Testament, that, that's me. I am part of the Godhead, the second person of the Godhead. And also we could translate it because it's an intensive pronoun. I myself as to say, I alone am the light of the world. He is the mighty God who has come down. And so what does Jesus say when he says this? Well, first of all, he refers to our incarnation or his incarnation, not ours, his incarnation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. He is the one who is promised by God. But also there is a reference, isn't there, to our illumination on the part of God. God shines forth His light into the darkness. You know, as children, we're so often scared of the dark. We know that we could get hurt. We... It seems, you know, you get older, you got to get up in the middle of the night and it's dark and you don't want to wake your spouse if you've got one. And you take a, you take, I take a gamble every night because I don't turn the lights on. I could stump my, stump or break my toe. I could fall and get hurt. It's dangerous. Especially when you have those dark 
curtains. They're so wonderful. They block out all the light. But anyway, I, I digress. But it's unsafe. You could be in harm's way. And so as God's word says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And here we have the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking as our prophet, the way of salvation, the way to return back to God from the darkness, from our own personal Egypt, our house of bondage. And Jesus, he says, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. In the old world, there are many contexts at which time this word follow was used. But I think we ought to see it in the context of the Old Testament. God's people were to follow the Shekinah glory every night as to where they would go. And where was God leading them? the promised land to salvation. As Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am, I myself, ego in me, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And so this declaration is a reference to our salvation in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. You will come out of that lifestyle. You will not dwell in that lifestyle. You will not be found sitting in the darkness. You'll be walking away from it. You know, there's repentance as well as faith. We live a life of repentance, which if we do, that means we still sin. We're not perfect. We aren't saved by our good works. It's all by God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. But the one who follows Jesus is steadily walking away from the darkness, from Egypt. And Jesus says, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. To follow Jesus means to have faith in Jesus, John 12, 46. It also means to obey Jesus, to walk in His ways, His commandments, to take His yoke upon you. For his, his burden is light. But he gives the promise he shall have the light of life. What does he mean? It's the light which gives life. It is the light which issues forth life. It's interesting, isn't it? Some people like to tell us that the first chapter of Genesis is not in chronological order that those, those days are, you know, they're, they're a picture of things or it's just, you know, it's just symbolism, whatever. There are all these theories and so forth. And uh, one thing they point to is the fact that light comes before sun. Well, in the new heavens and new earth, there is no sun because God is its light. And I think God is showing us there not to make the mistake that pagans make, to worship the sun. Although the sun does give us light, it does give us heat. But Jesus is the one who gives us life eternal. And so just as the light in our world does give life, God uses photosynthesis and all of that 
Jesus Christ, who is the son of righteousness, is the only one who brings eternal life. And life abundantly, he says. Not just life, any old life, but life forever, eternal, an abundant life full of joy and peace. He gives the light of life. In him was, John 1, 4, the light of men. And so... What Jesus is saying here when he says, I'm the light of the world, he's telling us that God has come down from heaven, the second person of the Godhead, taken on human flesh to dwell with us in order to bring us a restored, life-giving relationship with himself that Jesus has for the Christian and will for those who come to him show them the way out of Egypt out of the house of bondage, in servitude to sin, to the promised land, the Canaan that is above. And He will, He will show to those who come to Him how they are to live and journey in this life so that they make it to the promised land, the Jerusalem, the Canaan, which is above. Jesus alone is the light of the world. So let me make three applications as we talk about that. First of all, we ought to note that all unrepentant, unbelieving men, women, children, young and old remain in the darkness. They sit, they dwell. In the darkness, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, their minds are darkened. And therefore, Christian, be careful as to whose counsel, teaching, and opinions you receive. It might be a family member that's an unbeliever, someone giving you unbiblical advice and counsel. It might be a teacher. It might be a song. It might be a movie. It might be fiction that you enjoy. You know, Paul says, Jesus says through Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, we're to take every thought into the captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to think his thoughts after him. We are to have the light of God's word shed upon our hearts and our minds, our thoughts, our whole lives. So do not flirt with the world, which is in the darkness. You know, parents, I got to say, um, I'm probably meddling now. I got to say, I am quite just surprised at how lenient sometimes Christian parents can be when it comes to their children and their phones and social media and the Internet. And anything online because it opens this door. As I've told people in my family, the cell phone, the computers, they can be a portal to hell. The force of, forces of evil can come through that way. And, and you get my point. Don't open your hearts and your minds to the darkness. To those who are in the darkness, those who dwell and sit in the darkness, we ought to point this out, what the Bible says about it. That they are living a life alienated from God. That outer darkness remains for them on that day. And that only Jesus 
Jesus and Jesus alone is the light of the world. And then last, dear Christian brothers and sisters, how will those who sit in the darkness see the light today? You know, maybe like in that movie, God's must be crazy. Instead of a Coke bottle, maybe a Bible will fall off of a building somewhere and hit someone on the head. And maybe they'll read through the whole Bible and become a Christian. But ordinarily, people become converted through other Christians. Jesus says in Matthew 5.14, You and you alone are the light of the world. See, Jesus shines his light upon us and we shine our lights before men. He says, you know, men don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, they put it on the stand, the lampstand. He says, you know, do your good deeds, do your good works so that men may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. And you might say, well, where do I start with that? I don't know how to share the gospel. Well, you can read scripture to them. You can tell them, if you only know a little, you can tell them what you do know and send them to someone who maybe knows a little more. You can give them a gospel track or you can tell them about this verse and the other I am statements that we will look at through John's gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you have not left us in our misery, in our fallenness, in our blindness to grope around in the dark. But you've sent the Lord Jesus and shown in our hearts his light, the light of the gospel. And you've redeemed us through his blood. Help us, Father, to shine, to shine, to shine as our nation gets darker and darker and darker. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christian, this is the message for all sinners, for you and me, for those who have yet to turn to Jesus. They must repent of their sins, even homosexuals, whatever brand and kind it is. uh, They are to repent of that sin as well and not keep that identity. Their identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're to pursue holiness just as are we, whatever our sins and besetting sins might be. Brothers and sisters, do you have a secret besetting sin here this morning? Is it gnawing at your conscience? Well, in 1 John, the same John who gave us this gospel, in chapter 2 and verse 1 says, My children, I write these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours, but for the whole world. You see, we do sin. But we have an advocate with the Father at the right hand of the Father, pleading our case, reminding the Father that he has paid our sin, paid for our sins in full. 
That's the propitiation of our sins. And so Jesus, through his work, beloved, has dismissed the charges against us. So this 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, just as he has done even so with this adulterous woman. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the glory of the gospel of Christ, for the joy that it brings to us, for its beauty. For our Savior says, no man has had any such love as this, as he would lay down his life for his brethren. Lord, may this grip our hearts and lead us to repentance daily out of a love for you, seeking to follow the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.